Cowries and Rice podcast, the second best China-Africa podcast you've ever heard. Broadcasting from the heart of global China-Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, joined by my co-host, Dr. Enkem Kalu. Can you introduce yourself, Dr. Kalu, please? Hi, I'm Dr. Kalu. I'm a China-Africa specialist. I've been on the podcast a couple of weeks now with Winslow, and I also tweet at the handle, Enkem E. Kalu. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Today's episode is brought to you by our two new sponsors, African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nina Oduro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The forum incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. So I'm so happy that we have two new sponsors. Um, and thank you guys so much for, for helping us with the podcast. Um, before uh, I, I, I begin, um, I just wanted to say, um, you know, we're here on the podcast, we're, we're, we're quite um, saddened to hear the news coming out of Kenya with the, the shopping mall right there, and, and our condolences go out to all the victims and, and their families. Um, and and look, we're going to continue. Um, today we are recording over Skype due to the presence of a very special guest, Merlin uh, Linehan. I may have just butchered your name again. Perfect. perfect. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, Mr. Linehan, or Merlin, who has a background working in international development and finance, um, has worked as, his work especially relates to emerging markets, and it has a particular emphasis on trade and investment between emerging markets, frontier markets, and China's going global strategy. He is the head of China and Africa, which provides clients with high-quality business intelligence on Chinese companies operating in Africa, allowing them to gain a deeper understanding of this key trend in African business, economics, and politics. He also used to work for the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. Merlin, how is life, how is fatherhood treating you? I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm loving it. He's, uh, Dylan is three months old now and um, a real bundle of energy, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it much more than I thought I would. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. Not, not a problem. Thank you so much for, for joining us, especially at you know, this busy moment in your life. Um, so today's episode will have us tackle two topics that I myself am pretty unfamiliar with, Chinese economics and African employment. Uh, and there are a number of reasons why we are, are we going into this topic. One was that uh, Dr. Kalu um, suggested we, we really tackle it and, and, and really try and look at some of these issues. And the other was uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading this article, by um, this op-ed by Mark Kipchanga, um, China needs to create good jobs for Africans for the, for the Global Times. And, and I, I'm just really curious about the link between Chinese economics and African employment and uh, China's economic downturn, I guess, uh, I guess would be the phrase we'll, we'll use, and, and how that might affect African employment currently and in the future. Um, now, because this is something I really don't know a lot about, I reached out to Merlin and asked him to, 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 help, to help me out, and he generously agreed to do so. So, 
Without further ado, we're going to get into this. Merlin, could you explain China's economic slowdown and some of the financial difficulties faced by the country back in June? Yeah, I think for a country like China that has been growing that fast for that long, a slowdown is inevitable. It can't continue that rate of growth. Um, and I think the post layman stimulus has run its course. Um, having said that, I think there is a lot of growth left in China. There are, say, 300 million people more to urbanise. And that's an awful lot of, you know, raw materials, food, copper, cement that is going to have to be supplied to China. And I think, I think it will slow down. But there is still plenty of growth left. I think they have a long-term problem um, with their finances. The, the way that um, local governments are taking on debt is unsustainable. It's a complex problem, and I think the, like the National Audit Office is taking a, a big audit of the, uh, of the local government debt, and I think that could lead to you know, problems with the financial system. But that's not to say they can't work them out either. So that's that's where I see Chinese growth, yeah. Well, um, when we look at the slowdown, I think the numbers that have been tossed around is that the Chinese economy is still growing at about 7.5%. Um, considering the state of other economies in the world, isn't that still a pretty formidable level of growth for China? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most other countries in the world would, you know, give their right arm for a growth rate like that. It's um, still astounding. And um, as I say, I think I think there's plenty of um, growth potential left in the economy. It's still, on average, uh, you know, a lower middle-income country, I believe. So there's plenty of room for it to, for it to get richer and sustain a, you know, 8 7% growth rate. Absolutely. I just think the days of maybe 10% are... Are over. Well, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people have been recently talking about um, the Africa rising narrative. You know, six out of the top ten fastest growing economies in the world are in Africa. Um, Africa is the fastest growing continent, economic region in the world, etc. How much of that is tied to China um, growing, and in particular, keeping double-digit growth? Um, will African economies? collapse or slow down unless China keeps that level or is, is 75% an adequate an ad- adequate amount? Um, I think China has been the catalyst for African growth in recent years along with other factors such as um, South Africa uh, re-engaging with the, the rest of the continent but I think now there are other drivers within across the African continent which will help sustained growth, um, even if Chinese uh, demand for raw materials drops off. So I don't think it's um, essential. It's important, but, and if, you know, China goes into recession or something terrible happens and demand really tapers off, then it will inevitably affect Africa. But, you know, there's growing domestic demands, there's investment from other countries like Brazil, Turkey, India, and perhaps um, Western companies becoming more interested in investing there. So I think it's, it's not dependent on Chinese demands. 
That's good to know. Um, what do you think about, because um, part of the, the, the discourse that's coming now with the change in um, China's economic growth rate and, um, and change in economic policy within China, there's been talk about um, moving from or changing, changing some of the policies that the government have in place. What sort of a role do you think that um, African employment or African unemployment would have for Chinese economic growth? Particularly, I'm thinking about um, some stats that came out earlier this year from, I think, the Carnegie that stated that um, the Chinese economy right now, or at least, <clears throat> excuse me, Chinese society has a growing, um, growing unemployment in the educated population, but um, a shortage of um, low-skilled or unskilled labor, and we have Africa with a high rate of unemployment, what sort of role do you think that um, Africa would have or could have to play in the, in the growing need for unskilled labor for Chinese manufacturing? I, I think absolutely it could play an important role. I can see the potential for Chinese uh, uh, manufacturers, particularly in things like textiles um, and other uh, low tech, shall we say, manufacturing industries moving to to Africa, um, places like Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, and setting up there. Uh, African countries often benefit from things like the Africa Growth Act, which helps them, you know, export to to America and yeah, the uh, the African Growth and, and Opportunity Act. That's the yeah, one, Agoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and of course, there's a, a low-cost workforce in Africa. Uh, there was obviously a lot of uh, issues with infrastructure and government policy is, is it a, a good environment for manufacturing. But I, th I think there is definitely potential there. And I think by setting up a, a manufacturing base, there are a lot of potential for employment, not only with the manufacturing centers themselves, but the kind of linkages from it. So local suppliers supplying Chinese built plants, shall we say, you know, um, uh, with local components, um, supplies, that kind of thing. So it's not only the, the factory itself, but it's the, all the connections that build up around it, which uh, all help to build employment. It, it worked in China and Southeast Asia, and I don't see why it can't work in Africa. I, I'm going to piggyback off of, um, off of your statement and that the previous question, because we've seen attempts at um, industrialization in Africa. We've seen attempts at um, larger, um, larger scale production, and by uh -huh. and large, they seem to not have been very successful. Um, as much as a lot of politicians in Africa would like to blame the Chinese and Chinese competition for the demise of the textile industry in Africa, um, mm -hmm. a significant problem that predated Chinese competition was um, lack of adequate management. You know, you touched upon infrastructure support. Um, we also have a population of, you know, a growing population of educated unemployed people who may not be willing to work um, in these blue-collar positions. Mm. What do you think, based on your, your experience and your, um, your knowledge of Africa, do you think that 
we have the, the, the necessary sort of conditions to really harness the opportunities that are presently available? I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy at all, but I, I think, um, you know, in countries like Ethiopia and Kenya, um, there is the, the potential to do it. And I think, you know, if African countries and governments work with Chinese companies to ensure that there is um, skill transfer, knowledge transfer, then I think there is the potential for indigenous, you know, industries to, to develop that way. It's, of course, it's not, it's not easy and the governments need to make sure that their policies are right, but I think, you know, we have to start somewhere. It might not. It's not going to be on the scale of China or other Asian countries, perhaps. But um, I think I think um, it's down to African governments and companies as much as you know relying on outside actors. Do you not think there is the potential for African industrialization? And I'm not talking about huge plants. You know, I'm thinking textiles and. Uh, and other, you know, low-tech manufacturers, should we say? I, I think that there's a lot of potential um, in Africa. I think that one of the things that we've struggled, um, and I say we as an African, one of the things mm. that we've struggled with in seeing um, that sort of industrialization take place in Africa is we've attempted to, we, we've taken other industrialization models and just directly mm. transplanted them into Africa where um, the societal mm. constructs or the, um, the systems in place might not be amenable to um, those sorts of productions and, and those, that level of activity. I think that there's a need to, um, to better understand African societies and better understand what uh -huh. works within African, um, the, the, the African economic landscape and then tailor something um, that's suited to that. And again, you know, your smaller size, smaller to medium sized factories um, would be a good way to start with that so that we're not jumping in the deep end and losing a lot of capital up front. Um, but I definitely think that there's a lot of potential. Um, it's a matter of picking the right location, um, managing it properly, and then again, working with the government and having the government be supportive because um, administrative um, inefficiency and ineptitude has been a major challenge for economic growth in a lot of African countries. Well, what do you think oh. of the Chinese um, special economic zones, which they've sponsored in, I think, Zambia, Nigeria, and Ethiopia, I believe? I've, I've heard, heard mixed things about them. I, I, I've also heard mixed things about them. Um, I think there was a story that came out of Zambia about the special economic zone that's, I think, in Chingola, where mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a few buildings mm -hmm. built up, but nothing really in it, and... I believe the T-shirts come through and get a Made in Zambia tag stapled on them at the last minute before they're shipped out. I don't think that's true. I don't know how true that is. I didn't investigate, so I can't confirm that. But um, the problem, one of the, the major challenges with AGOA is that um, it doesn't matter where the, you know, it doesn't matter who owns the factory or the manufacturing company as long as it's coming out of Africa. And sometimes that last minute um, or the very last step in the production process, such as putting the tags on the item of clothing, um, 
maybe all that's necessary for it to happen and then you don't see right. that you don't see that economic zone you don't see that country benefiting from that with the special um, economic zones I've heard that a lot of African states um, Nigerians and me included have also provided the Chinese with significant tax breaks that yeah. have um, made it difficult for them to reap any sort of income or benefit from that at the present moment now sure. a country like Zambia may not have the um, economic foundation um, to ride out the cost in the short term for benefits in the long term um, a country like Nigeria I believe Nigerian government officials had said to me that they were willing to um, pay for the cost of engagement with China in the short run because they saw um, significant long-term benefits so they have yeah. and they also have a strong enough consumer base that um, they might have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of being fast and loose with their economic policy local industry as well as foreign industry within their within their um, jurisdiction sure, sure. Um. Well, one of, one of the things that I, I'm going to try and bring, bring this to is that, so we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the potential for, for Chinese. And so under that situation, and, and, and you know, China's not going not gonna to rely on, on massive economic stimulus, and maybe it might be harder to get some of the credit necessary for some of these sorts of projects, especially if you're not a, a well-connected player, um, if you're not like an SOE, for example, wouldn't the Chinese government at that point, you know, if, if there is an, an, actual, an actual slowdown and, and the Chinese economy is hurting to the point that it hurts uh, employment, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure they would be they'd be loaning out money or helping with, with projects over, for Chinese overseas in Africa rather than trying to find ways to get, to, to, to get employment in, in China. Now, maybe, maybe they might find it cheaper to have them go, go to Africa and, and fend for themselves and, and find jobs there, which is a possibility. I, I have, uh, in terms of the Chinese economy, it's something I'm not particularly strong at. But, um, but right now, at this point of... T at this point in time, um, when a lot of people are saying that they see signs that China's uh, China's economy is is reforming itself um, in in everything from 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 banking to, to to focusing more on a consumer driven economy, you might not have the 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 Chinese state being able to 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 help you out with loans or to help um, insure projects, and at that point, these sorts of um, small-scale manufacturing or, or investment in these small-scale manufacturing in Africa might not materialize at, at this point in, in, in time. Um, so what, what, uh, what do we think about that? Is it a function of, does China's economy have to rebound, or is it just a matter of, well, this, this is probably going to happen the, the, the way trends are, 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 are looking, and, and, and the state of the Chinese economy is not that bad. So these things will continue. Yeah, sure. Um, do you want to go first? I was going to let you go. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I think the Chinese government will look at the, the long term, I think. Any slowdown, I think they will hope and, and 
you know, make policy for that it will only be a short slowdown. And they don't want to be a low-income country, and they want to move to a you know high-income status. And high-income countries don't have, on the whole, that much you know low-end manufacturing. And I think they want to position their economy to be doing higher-tech stuff. So, and also I think they'll continue investing abroad. I don't think that will. That will stop, and the richer they get, the more companies will want to move abroad to expand and, you know, broaden their operations. So I think in that respect, there might be a short-term backlash, and you know, they might think, okay, the economy slowed down, we've got to retrench a bit and stop um, expanding so much. So there'll be a bit of that for you know a couple of years, but I think in the long term, the country will continue to. And its companies, SOEs, and increasingly private companies will will want to go abroad to expand. So I think they'll take the long view and um, and continue continue investing abroad. I actually I would um, add to that and make it make a a delineation between the Chinese government and Chinese enterprise. And if you look at the cases of South Africa, or um, South Africa and I think uh, oh, Mauritius, Madagascar, I think it's Mauritius, where um, it's it's Mauritius. I'm I'm pretty you. sure. Um, oh oh wait no, Mauritius is more um, Chinese activity. A lot of the the, the 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 economic presence of the Chinese in both of those countries started out on a small on a smaller level with your small to medium-sized businessmen that first came over, brought their families over, then as they made more money and got wealthier, they expanded um, their economic activity, moving into um, moving into manufacturing, moving into um, bigger um, bigger industries of scale. And so, and I see that happening across Africa. And the government, the Chinese government, has been very supportive of those companies, but I think there might be enough of a foundation laid out right now that um, the economic um, contraction within China may not even have that significant of an impact um, on the level of Chinese, you know, the the great term Chinese engagement in Africa. Um, What we might see is um, a reduced demand for African resources and raw materials. and perhaps a reduce um, in, in, in the commodity pricing of these resources. But I don't think that we will see an immediate backlash um, or um, immediate retract- retractions within um, Chinese and African trade. Um, the other thing we have to take into consideration is the African side of engagement because um, a lot of Africans are now playing a bigger role in the movement of financial capital and products from China to Africa and Africa to China. And if they're continuing to grow their economies and receive monies from China or um, Europe or America, I don't see a reduction on the African side of increased engagement with China. So, um, well, But I, I, I want to be quite clear. I'm not talking about engagement. I'm talking about employment. If if everything is based on like the the let's say either um, large scale Chinese investment in African countries special economic zones or sort of these independent projects like in in Mauritius, um, 
like the effect on overall African employment is 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 the thing that um, I, I I I think we should we should try and and, yeah. and sort of focus yeah. on because like engagement engagement is 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 a is is related but 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 separate. Um, I I understand where you're coming from. Where I'm um, where I'm coming from, I'm using engagement to talk about economic activity because with increased economic activity, um, the assumption is that there is also increased employment, um, or at least increased opportunities for in, increased opportunities for employment. So if we're seeing more trade then we might see more Africans being petty traders and self-employment that way. Or if they're um, able to um, expand their businesses, they might be able to take on other employees, the Chinese that are growing um, their businesses and their, their, I guess, economic opportunities in Africa. Might also be with increasing income, which again, using my great term engagement, um, they should be able to employ more locals because they're still making money despite the removal of state support is I guess my point. Well, I mean, keep, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, most a lot of China Africa trade is still based on 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 commodity extraction. So like um, the the oil industry, which is not necessarily the the greatest employer, and the oil industry probably isn't going to get hurt as much because even with the Chinese economic downturn, a lot of Chinese people will still buy cars, for example. But in and the and uh, and some of the and some of the South African uh, media that uh, newspapers that I was reading, they uh, South Africa was saying, well, in terms of mining, this might this might end up being an issue, and um, especially if uh, China's economic if there is an economic slowdown that affects um, housing construction, then there's a whole slate of African resources um, in terms of in in terms of mining um, that that will be affected, and so. And 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 these these are things that, if you know, if if how if there is a, a problem with housing, of course the Chinese government is going to try and fix it, but they might not fix it in a way that'll allow China to import a bunch of African um, copper, for example. They might instead try to re restrict the ownership of housing or, or or prevent the housing bubble from bursting. Your your your, your thoughts. China is not Africa's only trade partner. And one of the things that has helped China become a bigger trade partner for Africa has been the increase in the price of African commodities, which has made it difficult for some of Africa's other trade partners to, um, to participate at that level. If China plays less of a role, then we might see uh, more dilution in terms of Africa's um, major trade partners. Um, I mean, Merlin, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think uh, overdependence on commodities is not a not a great thing in any case, and I think you know I don't think the Chinese government are worried about African employment, but I think African governments need to somehow utilize Chinese engagement to try and develop, say, small and medium sized companies in in their own countries, which are a proven driver of employment. I think the mining sector and things like oil, I mean, it's obviously better to have demand from China, of course, but I don't think in the long term that's a great way to build, you know, a prosperous, balanced economy with 
you know, high employment rates. Uh, otherwise, you know, a lot of African countries would have a lot higher employment. <laughs> I think uh, it's down to, and it's not easy, I'm not saying it's easy, but uh, somehow use this Chinese demand, you know, in whatever way to try and develop um, small and medium enterprises, um, indigenous companies, um, encourage Chinese investment. There's, you know, lots of ways of doing it, but that's really the key is to to build up not not so much big mines and offshore oil rigs, but com- you know, small companies in in African com- countries. The other thing we haven't really really touched on is the aspect of um, agricultural development and the role that that can play because China is not food secure. And while parts of Africa are not food secure, there's enough arable land and enough agricultural potential um, for food security in Africa, and then as well as you know, good food supply to the rest of the world, including China. And there's been an increase um, in Chinese investment in agricultural um, types of businesses, which are labor intensive. But but I I read I mean I I read this really great article and I gotta find it that's talking about most of those investments in Africa and agribusiness are for African markets to make money. So they're not, it's not like strategic to like build up a, a food security towards China. It's just to, to make money, which is what, you know, what, what both, what all of us want, which is, you know, you make money and, and you set up business and then you have help African employment. Um, but like Chinese food security does not necessarily mean that Chinese people are going to Africa to help Chinese food security. Oh, no, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't my argument, per se. My argument was that there is this situation where there's a need for continued investment in agricultural development in and outside of China for China's benefit, regardless of whether they're going directly to Africa for... I'm not saying that they're going directly to Africa for their own benefit, but that's, that's got to be part of the thinking in the long term, especially if you start looking at... Um, the use of um, agricultural products for um, non-food purposes. Um, like, I know the Chinese government had required, had requested like cassava chips from the um, Nigerian government oh, yeah, years yeah. ago um, for use not for food purposes but um, biofuels or something of that sort. But if we're moving, if we see a global economy that's moving further towards biofuels and um, an increasing demands of agricultural product, products, then I think that there's a lot of opportunity there um, for continued investment and then um, employment of a, a ready and available workforce in Africa. I mean, well, well then let me, let me, let me ask, ask you this. Considering, considering the the bad economic stretch that that the U.S. and Europe is facing, and you know the incredible opportunities to be the uh, investment opportunities in Africa, there's not a lot of capital being invested in in these African countries in these incredible growing economies, um, and let's say let's say China does face an actual economic slowdown, will would would Chinese people, with with the economy going down, with unemployment rising, with the with the government trying to figure out a, a solution that that tries to keep everything together, would these Chinese people, would these Chinese companies invest in Africa or move to Africa as the economy slows down? 
think they could continue doing so, actually, yeah. Um, I mean, they might see it as a, an opportunity to continue growing while the, you know, the home economy is slowing. Um, so I think, yeah, there, there's still the potential for them to expand abroad, even in a time of uh, recession. A lot will, of course, have to be down to the government who are, you know, in control of the SOEs to an extent. So if they, you know, they want them to, you know, retrench and invest at home, then, um, you know, they may do so, but they may... You know, they may consider opportunities abroad to be more attractive than, than, than at home. But you know, it's it's a big picture. Some some could continue expanding abroad, and others retrench. You know, there's so many companies involved now. It's uh, it might be difficult to to paint a kind of broad sweep, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it could it could be a, you know, a, and maybe a Chinese slowdown might entice. Chinese people to move to Africa in greater numbers, as they as unemployment at, at home rises, they might they might want to go abroad yeah. to you know seek their fortune. Yeah, like um, a, a lot of uh, Fujianese um, travel all over the world and in Africa and set up little little shops. Um, part because uh, uh, Fujianese is uh, Fujian is a, is a, a, a tough place to be Fujianese yeah. to make money. Um, so that's a, a very good point. Um, doc, uh, Dr. Kalu and, and, and Merlin, uh, any, any final words before we get into uh, recommendations? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I'd like to say, I mean, I'm quite bullish on, you know, China, African manufacturing growth and China's role in it, but I'd like to kind of point out that there's a, you know, if it does happen, there's a big cost in terms of the environment and, um, you know, inequality and people working in poor conditions as as we've seen in China and other newly industrialized countries, you know, it's not it's not always a pretty picture. So I think African countries have to really think governments and people, you know, is that is that what you want? You know, that is there is a cost to industrialization. So I think that's to be borne in mind. But it is a proven driver of employment, so and, you know, making a country more wealthy so can it be done on a, a more sustainable um, level I guess would be my my point v- very good dr. Kalu um, hmm. I think that and I, I feel like I make this comment every week but I, I think that this is such a complicated and nuanced relationship and we see just the surface and scratch at um, very little of what actually is going on. Um, even in understanding the economic slowdown in China, there's been contrasting information coming out of um, coming out of China and out of the press with regards to um, the level of impact. If this is a negative thing or a positive thing, if this is due to over. Um, too much interference from the Chinese government or just growing pains for uh, an economy in transition. Um, but I think that it's important to keep the to keep the, the discourse going, to keep the conversation going as we're doing here. And um, I think that it's also important that Africans realize that we're in competition with China and China's not our friend. 
and no one really is our friend. Where states are, where, where states are concerned, there's only interests and not friends. I think Winston Churchill said, um, that's a paraphrase. But um, I, th- I actually think it was De Gaulle. But but um, continue. There's, there's motivate, you know, our government and business leaders to um, make better policy decisions and better business decisions. Okay. Well. With that, we're going to move on to recommendations. So, uh, Merlin, you're the guest. Would you like to recommend anything for our listeners? I, yeah, it's not strictly a China-Africa story. But, That's okay. Uh, it's an interesting one, which I've read before, actually, and I just saw on uh, Bloomberg Business Week, and it's called Honey Laundering, and it's about how um, honey is illegally imported from China to the US via Germany, I believe it was. <laughs> and it's not about Africa, but it's an interesting story about trade um, with a good title. So uh, it's on, on Bloomberg Business Week. The, it's actually, I think, a, a year old story, but the, it's been updated. That, 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 is, that is really, really neat. Um, oh, oh. I I've, I'm actually a big fan of Chinese honey. One of one of the first um, serious dates I had with my wife, we went up to um, uh, Fula Mountain in uh, Mianyang, and we bought some honey at the top of the mountain. It was fantastic. Lasted me uh, three months. Uh, I uh, an aside, Dr. Kalu, what, what's your recommendation? Um, there was an interesting article in the New York Times earlier this week on um, pushback from um, against Chinese oil companies in Africa. And um, I found it fascinating, and I recommend you read it. It's a quick read. <laughs> All right, Re- really, that that's that that's really fantastic. I, I didn't I did definitely enjoy that enjoy reading that article. Um, uh, my my recommendation is um, a piece by and, and I'm going to say this wrong, Ria Teshpi for Agence France Press, I don't speak any French, it's called The Africans Making It Big in China. And it's, a, it's another Africans in, in Guangzhou story, but I, I, I always like these. And, and this one got um, a, a wide readership. I actually first came about it um, through one of our, our, our listeners, um, Rachel Kasumba, who, who saw on Yahoo. And so I, 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 I read it and I thought it was, it was really interesting. Um, it, you know, if if you read the sort of stories, it's, it's not particularly unusual. But there's this one quote that I, I really enjoyed um, reading, and it was a quote by uh, Robert Castillo, who's a researcher um, in I forgot the name of the university in in, in Guangzhou, but I hope he gets on the podcast sometime. Um, and and there's the quote: Many traders feel much more comfortable working in China than they do in Europe, and that's something that that um, I, I hope. Um, gets explored, and, and one of the things that um, I, I'm always really interested to see in terms of patterns of African migration is are Africans, if you're a young, talented African person and you want to travel abroad and make it, is China becoming that destination? And, and for me, it's just a really, um, really interesting. And then there were some, some, some very interesting anecdotes there as well. Um, Merlin, can you tell our audience... How are we going to find you on the internet, uh, on Twitter, etc.? I'm on Twitter uh, as Merlin Lenehan, uh, but I recommend reading my blog, the Coolering Trade blog, 
uh, uh, which covers China Africa stuff, but also South South trade. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a good read. So it, it's a read? fantastic blog, and and one of the things I really enjoy about it is that it's not always just a, a you know a a, a a a number crunch blog. Um, some there was a thing you did on um on uh the five the top five books on on black markets or, or, or something like that um you're, you're always putting up interesting information I, I i i really do enjoy all the things you put up also you're, you're working on a book is that correct any any information on that or or yeah, what is it going to be about about halfway through it now it's on south south trade and it's um it's kind of looking at it analytically but also telling the story of um, you know Chinese and other people who were from Brazil South Africa uh, India who were kind of pioneers of um, uh, developing south south trade links or increasing them I think it's a you know something that's really gonna take off not only China which is the catalyst but also you know looking at Indian trade with Africa Indian trade with Asia, Asian trade with Latin America. There's all these new connections building up, which uh, I think is a real story to be told there. That that's great, and yes, I'm happy you're 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 working to tell that story. Thank you, thank you for doing that work, um, Dr. Kalu. What what about yourself? Um, on Twitter, uh, um, E. Kalu. I have a blog. And I cannot remember what it's called right now. This is terrible. Um, but I also blog on calories and rice. Yes. Her first blog should be coming up this week. Yes, her first post should be coming up this week. Thank you so much, Dr. Kalu. Um, and I will definitely um, find the name of your blog and, and put it in, in our show links uh, at the bottom of the page. Um, as for myself, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Winslow underscore R. That's W-I-N-S-L-O-W underscore R. And I tweet a lot about China-Africa stuff, um, and then a few other random things. Uh, and the, the blog I, I, um, that I'm working on and Dr. Kalu is helping me on is um, Cowries and Rice. And that's, and I always um, forget off the top of my head, it's um, cowriesrice at uh, .blogspot.com. Cowrie, like the cowrie shell. So C-O-W-R-I-E-S, rice, R-I-C-E, .blogspot.com. And, and yeah, right now we're, we're basically uploading podcasts and we're going to try and, and, and blogging a, a, a little bit more consistently. And, and, you know, that is about it for today's episode. We would really like to thank Merlin for joining us this afternoon slash evening, um, as well as African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud. We just applied to put it up on Stitcher as well as iTunes. And hopefully we're going to put it up on more media platforms in the future. Um, so, you know, be prepared. Um, and also, uh, we would also like to thank Michael McGarity, also known as Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings, for composing the theme song, which a lot of people like, and he's one of my best friends, and I want to make sure people know that he did this. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.